Hello and welcome to the South Carolina Lead. I'm your host, Gavin Jackson, and this episode was recorded on March 15th, 2021 from my home studio here in Columbia. Just so you know, some of the information in this podcast may have changed by the time you've heard it. This episode features a look at what's happening in the Statehouse this week. We have a special interview with one of NPR's international correspondents about life during lockdown. And we look at why testing remains so important, even with vaccines available. Healthcare leaders also address what travel could look like for vaccinated individuals, all while this country saw a record number of folks flying on Friday. Additionally, we want to hear your stories, especially as we have now marked a year in lockdown, a year dealing with the pandemic, a year quarantining, teaching from home, working from home, doing things differently. We want to know how it's changed your life, any permanent changes, any short-term changes, some memories, some highlights, some lowlights. Tell us, 803-563-7169. Leave us your name, a message, and just uh, you know, tell us what's been going on with you at 803-563-7169. Lead cares, lead loves. Now for the latest in South Carolina. Currently, the spread of COVID-19 is ongoing, widespread, and not contained, according to data from the Department of Health and Environmental Control. There have been 7,850 confirmed deaths, and currently there are 455,088 confirmed cases being reported in all 46 counties as of March 15th at 4 p.m. Our percent positive rate is 3.4%. Pretty low. Under 5%. We like that, even though it's the new formula, but still. On Monday, we had zero new confirmed deaths. I don't know when last time that happened. (laughs) We're still checking. And we had one probable death, and there were 310 confirmed cases. So some really low numbers there. This comes after several days of spiking death rates, however, which have offset a downward trend that took shape in late January. Meanwhile, the seven-day moving average for cases in our state continues to decline. Sadly, our hospitalizations and ICU admittance numbers are plateauing, and ventilator use has slightly ticked up recently. Currently, 590 people are hospitalized with COVID-19, 148 are in intensive care, and 61 are on ventilators. So how do we stack up against other states now that we're a year into this pandemic? Well, based on CDC data from the start of the pandemic up until now, South Carolina is 12th in cases per 100,000 residents and 17 in deaths per 100,000. I wish this was one of those times where we were in last place, like we sometimes are. This week at the Statehouse, starting on Tuesday, a Senate subcommittee is taking up another pressing topic for the state. That's the South Carolina Flag Uniformity Bill, S-101. Yes, our state flag varies from flag to flag because there is no one set design. Another Senate subcommittee will get an overview of the state's underfunded pension, and later on Tuesday, a committee will look at a slate of electioneering-related bills. The Joint Bond Review Committee will meet Wednesday to approve state infrastructure projects and receive an update from DHEC and MUSC on COVID spending. Wall debate is expected on Representative Bobby Cox's open carry with training bill this week on the House floor. A constitutional carry bill he is also sponsoring, H3096, will be in subcommittee Tuesday morning before lawmakers gavel in. Expect this to serve as a separate vehicle for those Republicans who want a more drastic bill than the open carry with training bill. Now, H3096, along with the hate crimes bill, H3620, and the transgender student athlete ban, H3477, will be in the full House Judiciary Committee Tuesday afternoon. 
You can watch that online if you're so inclined, and we'll have a recap for you later this week. There are also plenty of other meetings happening this week, and you can find all of them, including their live streams, on scstatehouse.gov. It's not allergy week, even though it feels like it. You can probably hear it in my voice, but happy sunshine week, folks. This is your reminder to support your local newspapers as they continue to be the best check on government we have in this state and country. Just one example from the Post and Courier's Andy Brown has a story out on how several businesses in the state received taxpayer-funded tax incentives even though they didn't meet contractual obligations to do so. Okay. Now help hold folks accountable and help shine the light on corruption, no matter how small. Remember, the Washington Post's motto is, democracy dies in darkness. So any way you can support, do it. And as we go, an NPR PBS NewsHour Marist poll from March 3rd through the 8th, which surveyed 1,227 adults, found that two-thirds of Americans say they either have gotten the vaccine or will get it. Now, only 30% say they won't get the vaccine, which continues a downward trend since September of last year. However, 49% of Republican men and 47% of those who supported Donald Trump said they would not get the vaccine. And just to remind you, the former president was vaccinated before he did leave office. So, FYI. Now, only 25% of black respondents say they wouldn't receive the vaccine, which was the lowest of all the polling demographics. The poll's margin of error was 3.4%. Now, we have a little bit of a treat for y'all, especially our big NPR, I guess we call them nerds, right? Super fans, nerds, lovers of all things National Public Radio, we love it. And as a little treat, NPR foreign correspondent Eleanor Beardsley, who is based in Paris, spoke during the USC Darlamore School of Business Folk Center for International Business Forum via Zoom. A lot of words for me to say that I got to catch up with her after her speech, and we talked about a lot of different things. Now, the Colombian native who has been based in Paris, covering France and international affairs since 2004, recalled life during the lockdown abroad how the pandemic was handled in Europe, what the European Union has been like since the United Kingdom left in January, what Europeans think about Americans, oh, we always want to know, and the EU's painstakingly slow vaccination process of 450 million people. Here's part of our conversation. There were people who said this could come here, but I was like, it never entered my mind that it would come here, you know? And so when it came, I think people were almost like, what? They they weren't taking it seriously. Like the night they closed all the bars and restaurants, that was a, that was Saturday, March 14th, Mm -hmm. 15th. Yeah. I had gone to a movie that night, a movie. When I look back, it's just insane. Mm -hmm. Yep. They closed the cinemas that night and everybody's rushing out to have a last drink at the cafes and bars. The next day is a beautiful, sunny, sunny day. And everybody's out walking. We went out walking. The next night, the president, Emmanuel Macron, comes on TV and he says, stop, you you have not understood. I saw grandparents and grandchildren out walking. We are at war. This is this is huge. And and he said, starting tomorrow at noon, there's a national lockdown and you cannot come out. You can come out once a day to exercise with your form filled out, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And it was surreal. It, it, It felt like wartime. And. And so being in Paris was 
it was very strange. It was, it was all of a sudden you'd wake up in the morning instead of hearing traffic, you heard birds and there were ducks in the middle of the road and from the San river. And it was just, just surreal. I, I, I just, and then it felt like the city was empty and silent. And then every night there was this moment of solidarity where people would come out on their balconies and lean out their windows and just cheer for the healthcare workers. And that was like a moment that I loved every day because I felt sometimes so alone. It felt like humanity was gone from the planet. You were alone. And then everybody's heads start popping out of windows and you realize that you're not alone and everybody is there and everybody's living the same thing. And, and that was a wonderful moment. And I always leaned out the window and clapped. And, and then, and then we got, when we came out, we, we had the feeling that we had defeated it. It was done. And, and we really, and Europe went on vacation and it was a beautiful summer of just Europe for the Europeans. And it felt really nice. But then the second wave just came and walloped the whole continent. And you said that was much different. I mean, I think it was different everywhere. Everyone felt that different wave. It was, you know, there weren't those moments like there were before. It was just became a routine and it became. Exactly. It became a grim reality. And everyone was thinking, how long is this going to go on? Are we ever going to get out of this? You know, after we're coming up on a year. I mean, people were in stunned. There was no clapping at 8 p.m. every night. Nobody was into doing happy hours anymore. People were like mentally like having breakdowns, you know, everybody's family problems, you know. Mm -hmm. So, no, it wasn't fun at all. And um, that's kind of where we still are, you know. Yeah. But did people follow the rules? I mean, you talk, we were talking about like how things over here are so different than over there. And, you know, the yeah. conspiracy theories took foot here and over there, people were actually wearing masks. What's, what's, can you kind of contrast the two when people yeah, you know, I mean, ask you about that? Oh God, people would ask me, like, I remember talking to my stepmother like three months ago. She's like, do people wear masks outside? I'm like, yes. I mean, you don't go anywhere without a mask. Never. And, um, and, and then I found out like that people, you know, I, I would see videos of people going into Walmart saying, nope, nope, not wearing a mask. And it was just weird. It was just, that was something the Europeans just didn't get at all. Why would a mask be a political statement? They just didn't get that at all. And can you talk about, I'm just kind of wrapping up here too, what, what it all maybe means for the EU going forward and how this affects the future of it? Obviously, Britain, you know, they all, they just bounced out of it. What, what does everyone think about how this could, you know, all the ramifications from lockdown, from economics to the vaccine rollout, how this could affect working together as one. Yeah, well, everyone, this is a strange thing that, you know, the whole planet has suffered the same thing. So it's been interesting to see places that have handled it better than others. It's been a real blow to the European Union, which, want, which you know, Macron in France and Germany wanted to integrate closer and tighter because one of the crucial, you know, tenets of the European Union, which is the free movement of people and goods, has been sacrificed. I mean, there's so many internal borders closed right now. You know, Germany's closed their border with Austria and the Czech Republic, but worse, they unilaterally closed it with France, you know, in one part, which affects cross-border workers. And, you know, France and Germany are the motor of the EU. And if they're closing the border between them, I mean, can this really be preserved? And you can't have the EU without open borders. And Britain is discovering, you know, what this means. I, I I think this the Brexit is not going well at all. There's rotting food and there's import and export taxes and it's, it's just a big, big disaster. And I think it's going to get bigger. And I think we're going to see how difficult it is soon. And the one thing about Europe is it's just that flow of people and goods across borders and you're not checked. You don't have to worry about it. And if that's called into question, I mean, the very essence of the EU is called into question. And 
you know, is this the last pandemic we're going to have? Uh, are we going to have vaccine passports? I mean, people just don't know. I mean, I, I think the EU, of course, is going to survive, but integrating and becoming, you know, tighter and more in, in having more things in common and opening more. I don't know. It might might be a ways off. It's really been dealt a blow with this pandemic. Beardsley said one of the things the French handled well was keeping schools open during the pandemic. She says once it's all over, she's looking forward to going out to cafes, having a glass of wine with friends and not cooking dinner all the time. Cheers to that, Eleanor. Right now, South Carolina is 36 among states, as well as Washington, D.C. and New York City, in cases per 100,000 over the past seven days. Now, we're eighth when it comes to test positivity rates during the same time period, and testing remains important, despite declining numbers seen here and nationwide. Dr. Jennifer Nuzzo, a Johns Hopkins University professor, says keeping up with testing is still important in preventing any potential spike in cases. As we've been saying now for several weeks, um, testing is on the decline. We initially started seeing a stagnation in testing around the end of November, um, which was a bit perplexing because uh, the case numbers were starting to really uh, accelerate upwards. And you would expect uh, testing to have also increased to keep pace with um, the rising case numbers. Um, but uh, instead, testing really sort of stagnated. And then in the last month, we've seen a 20% drop in the number of tests being performed each day on average. Um, so that is quite worrisome. While it is true that, as I said, case numbers are falling, the, the speed of decline and the timing when we started seeing testing stagnate and then didn't decline really doesn't sort of line up with just um, changing infections. And uh, more likely, um, some of the uh, concerns that we've heard from states about now needing to roll out vaccines that has limited their ability to focus on two very important tasks, which is mass testing and also mass vaccination. Really, there's just limited bandwidth to go around. And so I think that has made it difficult um, for them to execute both at the same time. And as a result, uh, my very strong suspicion is that testing has taken a backseat. But for anyone listening, I have to absolutely stress it is still absolutely essential that you get tested if you have symptoms and if you've been exposed to someone with a case. Um, that remains important, and testing is is how we maintain surveillance for this virus, and we don't want to be blindsided simply because we stop looking for the cases that may be occurring. Dr. Bill Moss, executive director of the Johns Hopkins International Vaccine Access Center, agreed with Nuzo about the key role testing will play into the future. The way I see the back end of this pandemic is going to be based on testing. Um, we're, we're not going to, you know, eradicate this virus, uh, anytime soon. And what we want to do is get to a point where community transmission is low enough and we can manage that through testing, identifying cases early, um, and then the, uh, contact tracing, isolation and quarantine. That's, that's our, that's the back end of this pandemic as I see it. And as long as the virus is circulating elsewhere in the world, we need to be vigilant, um, and identify those those transmission chains uh, within the United States. So yes, even though you're getting vaccinated, folks, if you feel symptoms, go get go get tested, even if you think it's allergies or something like that, because I know we're all feeling that right now. Dr. Moss has more information worth repeating as well. And that's to all you Johnson & Johnson vaccine haters out there. 
Okay, folks, we know. I've heard. I've heard from people. There are three highly efficacious vaccines preventing severe disease and death right now in America. Yes, there are three. So get whatever you can right now. That's what health professionals are telling us. Like, are we literally at the point of this pandemic where we're too good for one vaccine over another one as the rest of the world is literally dying for any shot? Come on, people. Right now, with uh, very high levels, continued high levels of, of transmission, no doubt it's gone down from our peak in January, but continued high levels of transmission, as Jennifer said, um, we want people to get vaccinated as soon as possible with whatever vaccine is available to them. And all three vaccines are highly efficacious in preventing severe disease, hospitalizations, and death. Um, and that's what we're, that's our, our main goal with these vaccines. I can force see a time um, down the road when uh, community transmissions uh, weigh down and um, and people have an opportunity to get uh, you know a vaccine and 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 perhaps can choose the one that's available uh, the one that they prefer but not right now we want we don't want people to delay getting a vaccine um, while they wait for one that they think is more preferable speaking of the rest of the world, the United States is contributing $4 billion to COVAX to help other countries get access to the vaccines. Dr. Anthony Fauci explained more in Monday's White House COVID-19 task force meeting. We've made a commitment of $4 billion that the United States will be giving to COVAX, which is a multi-organization, multi-country effort to help those countries that do not have the resources to be able to vaccinate their people to get them vaccinated. In addition, it's become clear that after we get our people in the United States vaccinated, and remember, we've suffered terribly with over 530,000 deaths thus far. So our responsibility of getting our people vaccinated first before we start giving doses to other countries, which we will be doing that if and when we do have a surplus, which it looks very much like we will. But that will not occur until we actually have our people vaccinated. But the $4 billion has already been implemented, part of it, uh, $2 billion and then $2 billion to come. So we're very actively involved in thinking about and caring about the plight of other countries. Right now, the country is averaging about 2.4 million shots per day. And we saw 3.2 million and 2.7 million shots given on Saturday and Sunday, respectively. That's a lot. Now, to help further incentivize providers, the task force announced that it would be doubling its Medicare reimbursement for the shots from around $23 to $40. Under the relief plan, 100% of vaccine costs for Medicaid and S-CHIP recipients are covered by the federal government, not the states. And last Friday, we saw a record number of travelers pass through airports. 1.3 million people, the highest level since before the pandemic. CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky said the trends here and abroad could mean another spike. We have seen footage of people enjoying spring break festivities maskless. This is all in the context of still 50,000 cases per day. Equally concerning are the resurgences we are now seeing in some European countries, countries that have had strikingly similar trends in surges during the pandemic as the United States. Each of these countries has had naders like we are having now, and each took an upward trend after they disregarded known mitigation strategies. They simply took their eye off the ball. I'm pleading with you for the sake of our nation's health. 
These should be warning signs for all of us. Cases climbed last spring. They climbed again in the summer. They will climb now if we stop taking precautions when we continue to get more and more people vaccinated. What will the future look like when we are fully vaccinated and want to travel? How will we be able to prove this? Andy Slavitt, the White House senior advisor on the COVID-19 response team, didn't have a clear answer, but said what it could look like. Americans are asking the question, how will I be able to demonstrate reliably that I've been vaccinated? And we have a couple of core beliefs about that. One is um, that it's not the role of the government to hold that data and to do that. But we do believe that um, where that gets done, there is a right way uh, and, a, and a way that's not as good. And, the, and the, the right way is these should be private. The data should be secure. Um, the, the access to it should be free. Uh, it should be available both digitally and in paper and in uh, multiple languages. Uh, and it should be open source. So um, those are the right kind of principles for someone to be able to have um, be able to, to demonstrate uh, that they have had a vaccine. Uh, and we, we, we know that there are, uh, there are efforts that are underway led by um, nonprofit collaboratives and the private sector all working on exactly that type of thing. Yes, give me a vaccine passport, please. I have booked my August flight to Greece, hoping the European Union will let me in. I have a passport. Give me a vaccine passport. Whatever, folks. I need to get in. Welcome to our wind down section, our little break from the news. We talk about life during the pandemic and want to hear your stories as well. Tell us what the past year has been like. Tell us about your vaccination process, how that's been going, whether it was booking it, going through the whole thing or, you know, tell us, was it, was it difficult? Mine wasn't. AT is about to get vaccinated. Let us know. 803-563-7169. AT, what, what do we have going on? What's in the hopper? Oh, the hopper! Oh, the hopper's jumping, baby. Ooh. We saw, but that's not. That doesn't mean I don't want more people. Oh, to call. yeah, no, no, Please no, no, call. no, 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 yes, Please yes, call because yes, yes, yes. I only have a few more there. So there, the hopper is stuffed, but I need <laughs> some more stuffing. Okay. Anyway, we have a call that we've been meaning to get to for a long time. We're sorry we haven't gotten to you earlier. It's just that you know Meg Kennard and all she gets precedent. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, we got we got some from the Low Country here. Ew. So. Let <laughs> smashing quite yes indeed. Mm-hmm. Let, let's hit it, my yes. good man. Hit it. Mm-hmm. Hey, South Carolina lead. My name is Sydney. I'm a college student. I'm a junior at um, the College of Charleston here in South Carolina. Um, I listen to your show on the regular. I guess I wanted to update you on COVID situation from a college student. Um, so, like I said, I'm a junior. Um, so COVID started my second semester of my sophomore year. And I guess I'm so thankful that I had my freshman year because seeing how these people are coming into college, I just, I don't feel like I would have made the same amount of friends, uh, the same, met the same people that I know now and love. Um, but it's been difficult as a college student because we're on our laptop <laughs> practically all day. Um, it's a lot harder to stay engaged, but I'm definitely glad we're still in classes. Personally, um, I have been spending the past god year um, going to different doctor's appointments um, in the midst of everything, which has been particularly scary during COVID because of infection rates. But I actually fell down a manhole 
here in Charleston a year and a half ago, and I've been going to doctors, like I said, the entire COVID experience, and I actually had surgery during uh, in October for my hip. But, yeah, it's been kind of scary, but um, I will say one bright side is that, you know, I can't walk that much, so online school is definitely easier uh, accessibility. So, yeah, anyways, thank you all for uh, keeping us up to date. Again, I love your show, and College of Charleston loves you. Sydney, our College of Charleston junior holler. Thank you for calling. Thank you for being a regular listener. We love it. Give us that college experience. I say holler. It's my show. (laughs) It's my show and I say what I want. (laughs) Let's give these kids in their center parts a little thing to talk about. But um, God, falling down that manhole. Falling down a manhole. I did not see that coming. And I'm guessing I don't want to make a lot of this, Sydney, but I don't think you did either. No, uh, you really buried the lead on that one there. I'm glad that you're doing fine, though. And this is a great time to be, yes, like you're saying, uh, you know, doing classes through remote learning because, yeah, well, trudging around that that campus and up and down all those buildings. You all know they're not they're barely ADA compliant, I'm sure, down there. (laughs) (laughs) But drag Charleston more, Gavin. (laughs) I mean, smells like horse poo there. (laughs) <laughs> we love the low country. Oh, I love well, thanks Carlson. for calling, Sydney. That was great. Uh, I did want to. It has been a while since we've heard from some college, college kids. Student? Yes. Yeah, love to hear it. Yeah, I can't imagine not the freshman you know, year. I, I, oh. I never thought of it like that, Sid. Mm-hmm. For real, because it's Sid, just Connor like, Sid. Okay, I like yeah, this. We're on a we're, we're on a <laughs> uh, nickname basis here. Okay. Can I? Um, yeah, yep. Yeah. Okay. I know her. You don't know her. I, okay. <laughs> I uh, play the anyway. Snow. I think I know. I I. I, I, I never even thought of it how you guys yeah. aren't going to classes and stuff like that. But like I've said before, I mean, maybe not here, but to a lot of people, I, I met my wife, Caitlin. I met her in, in calculus. Mm. You know, I mm-hmm. met her in class. So that's yeah. how we met. If, so I can't imagine the, the socialization of college right now. It's very yeah. strange, very weird. Yeah, a lot of kids, um, you know, as seniors from high school, I think probably waited a year. Some some did. I mean, I probably would have because I just gap year. Yeah, more Would than you, ever. But then, like, what are you going to do? There's not much to do as well. You so can't it's backpack like you, across yeah, Europe and write ugh. the great American novel anymore. Yeah, what a, <laughs> you just have to read Infinite Just instead of writing it right now. Oh, <laughs> God, classic. I mean, it's one or the other for me. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, but speaking of remote learning, we're going to be going yeah. back to full-time in, in yep. office, living, working, breathing. In about two weeks. Yeah. And I hate to, to that I just discovered this, but I'm coming to you from my dining room instead of my, yeah. my home office. <laughs> and I'm wishing that I would have done this sooner because I have yeah. more space. The light is nice and subdued. It's chill in here. I don't know if you could tell, but it's like chill in here. Oh, like, I'm getting I'm really getting dank. major chill vibe. <laughs> oh, very dang. <laughs> like I got spec got a comfy chair. Like you probably haven't heard any creaks this episode. Things are just different. So we uh, just thought those were your bones before. <laughs> <laughs> my, my brittle bones. But yeah, it's it's also coming handy because I've really been editing a lot i'm putting together a really big package for this week in south carolina so i need to be a little bit more comfortable yeah we're gonna be hearing that this week um just really doing the whole year in review look back and it's been a lot i've been going through the old scripts and uh if you think it was gavin's talking a little bit too much about uh some some wind up material from before the wind down. That's just because this is he worked all weekend. Yeah, I did not yeah. take the. Yeah, everyone's like, oh, it was such a pretty weekend. I'm like, yeah, it was, it was gorgeous. <laughs> it was so nice outside. I did some work but, outside, and then I just 
I was just covered in pollen and it's getting gross. The pollen so. is so gross. Yeah. It's disgusting right now. I'm I thought, I mean, I thought I was, I thought I was dying, but no, yeah. I, I, it was just the pollen. The Bradford pear trees. Those oh, terrible, burn them all. Trees. Every time you see one, just set it on fire. Tell them the that's lead Gavin's, said you could do that. We endorse always arson Gavin's solution. Burn trees. it up. Yeah. Oh, it's, it, it seems legal and good to do to burn I'm, the trees. I'm, I mean, I half believe there must be some sort of bill in the legislature that allows for burning pear pear trees like that the bradsford i mean in south carolina look at all the other stuff they're considering so i'm sure well this guy on this podcast told me i could set this tree on fire (laughs) now again not a legal defense unless it's maritime only only, yeah only on international waters (laughs) is gavin's advice binding (laughs) if you take a pear tree out 15 miles burn it Go ahead. Hey, I don't care blaze what you it. Do. Blaze it, baby. <laughs> <Okay>. Legalize it. Oh, <laughs> uh, man. Yeah. So, uh, anything you wish to add, AT? Any uh, oh, highlights well, from the uh, weekend? Sharp eared listeners will obviously know that I'm a huge <laughs> Philly sports fan, and uh, the, the, the Eagles were terrible this year. And that really sunk my soul down into the ground. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But as bad as the Eagles were, mm. the Philadelphia 76ers trust the process. They, they have been as good. Mm-hmm. And two days ago, basically my uh, savior throughout this entire pandemic, uh, Joel Embiid, he uh, almost tore his ACL Ooh. and everything was over. And I almost couldn't breathe for a, a day and a half when he was getting MRIs and x-rays. So, But it's just a bone bruise. So <laughs> AT is still okay. And uh, <laughs> Things are looking up for AT. Yeah, everything's coming up AT, baby. So I'm okay. But yeah, I, was, I, I was very I, scared. I don't yeah. think I could have handled it. I don't think I could have handled you not being able to handle and the, the ripple effect would have been devastating to everyone, including uh, yes, our listeners. I would have I would have been absolutely despondent. <laughs> Gavin would have thrown it to me in this section, and I would have said, who cares? We're all dying anyway. And I would have said, <laughs> you can't just speak non-verbally, AT. You have to say uh, something. It's just a lot yeah, of grunts and... Pure, pure grunts, nothing else. Oh, my God. So that, that's, that's, that's the best. That, that's the best thing for sports me Sports saving your life. I appreciate Hashtag this. Hashtag sports. Go ball team. <laughs> I just want the best team to put the most points on the board so they can win. Good point. Good point. That's my you take. Should get, you should get a raise for that. I take, think that guy. team is a good team because they put more points on the board and won. Sharp, 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 poignant. Uh, in, statistics, incisive. that's a good team. Go ahead. Any take more? it out. Take it out for the sad people here that are listening still. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I hope Go you're ahead. still not put listening. Put them out of their misery. I put them out of their misery. listening to the dregs. <laughs> but the thank you for listening to our podcast. We love it. We love you. Show us your appreciation by leaving us a voicemail, 803-563-7169, or a review on iTunes. Yeah, it's still cool to do that, to do it. You can stay up to date with the latest news on SCETV.org and SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org. And don't forget to support your local newspapers, especially during this sunshine week. Also, consider becoming an ETV member. Membership starts at just $40, and if you pledge at the $75 level, you get access to PBS Passport and all the great programming your donation helps support. For the South Carolina lead, I'm Gavin Jackson. Be well, South Carolina. Michelin. I I actually am the only home chef to ever win a Michelin star. <laughs> I mean, it's not a big deal, all right? It's really not. The only home ah. chef of all time to win a Michelin star for my uh. juicing regimen. <laughs>